Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. So I am very pleased and honored to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, It's August 26th, and for many people in this room, myself included, some people that I can see all around, this is a time of year that is exciting and maybe not so exciting in other ways, and that is back-to-school time. Uh, Teachers in Indiana went back to school on Wednesday. Students come on Tuesday. And I bring that up because in case you don't know me, I am a teacher. And being a teacher, I think in terms of homework. And I'm a music teacher, so the homework for my students typically looks like practice, not like typical homework. Uh, But I wanted to give you fair warning that I've got notes here this morning that I can't possibly entirely get through, so I'm going to be giving you homework. Um, There are going to be some things up here on the wall that you'll see that will be homework assignments, and there are also going to be some things that I'm going to put on the Facebook page, on the church Facebook page, for you to continue your study at home. So if you haven't joined the church Facebook page, go look that up. It's hard to believe, but today is the final message in the Summer in the Psalms series. Where did summer go, right? And I thought it would be good to start with a reminder of what exactly we've been looking at this summer as various teachers have gone through various psalms. And have you ever seen those Bibles that at the beginning of, a, of every book, there's maybe a page or two or three or four in some of them of information that kind of gives you the setting, maybe some information about the author, if we know the author. I like those I like those pages. I think there's some really interesting stuff in there. And I found in one of our Bibles at home, I found this description in the, that little introduction to the book of Psalms. It says this. I think we have it projected, perhaps. It says, these songs, because that's what the Psalms are, they're song lyrics, these songs cover a wide range of experience and emotions and give God's people the words to express these emotions and to bring these experiences before God. At the same time, the Psalms do not just express emotions. When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. The emotions are therefore not a problem to be solved, but are part of the raw material of now-fallen humanity that can be shaped to good and noble ends." So I love that last sentence because what all of that basically means is that the Psalms are exactly like the rest of Scripture. Scripture changes us. What I like about this description, though, of the Psalms is, remember I said I'm a music teacher, so music is a big part of my life, my family's life. I'm sure whether, you know, we don't have a room full of music teachers here, but music is probably a big part of your life, probably has been a big part of your life. And so we all know that songs can affect our emotions. They, they, they have, the Lord made us that way. But these songs, these song lyrics, shape us to good and noble ends. And that's what we've been doing all summer. And it's a beautiful thing. So let's start with prayer and ask the Lord to help us do exactly that this morning. Father, We are so very thankful, like Brielle prayed, we're thankful for Sunday mornings. We are so thankful for this place that we can come together as called uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are thankful, Father, that you have changed our hearts, Lord. And we ask this morning that you would shape us to your will, to good and noble ends, Father, to glorify you. Father, fill my mouth. Help me to remember things, Lord. Help me to say exactly what you would have me say this morning, Father. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to end our summer psalm series with Psalm 124. And it's a very short psalm. It's only eight 
I almost said eight measures long. I'm a music teacher. It's only eight, <laughs> it's only eight verses long. <laughs> um, and I think it's an invitation to all of us to tell stories, okay? So I'm going to start with a question. If you know the answer, please don't shout it out. Now I really feel like I'm in front of a classroom. Please don't shout out the answers. The question is, do we have the picture of this guy? Do you know who that is? If you do know who it is, don't shout it out. This is, I'll give you a hint, this is one of my all-time favorite storytellers. Okay, I'll give you another hint. My initials are J-R-R, which are closely linked, linked to this guy. Who is it? Anybody know? It's Tolkien. J-R-R Tolkien. And I am admittedly a huge nerd when it comes to J.R.R. Tolkien. In fact, someone in this room just recently called me a nerd, and I took that as a serious compliment. Thank you, Steve Basler. Um, in fact, I can prove that Steve is correct. Do we have that next picture? That is my license plate. It's out on the blue Honda Odyssey out in the uh, parking lot, and I've had lots of people stop me over the years and ask me if I was into talk radio. Are you a talking fan? So, no, I'm a Tolkien fan. Um, if you are familiar with Lord of the Rings, if you are familiar with it by just watching the movies, we can still be friends, but we'll be much closer friends if you've read the books. If you've read the books 15 to 20 to 30 times like I have, then you're a nerd, okay? So, Tolkien is a storyteller, and, and he said a beautiful thing because he was a believer, and he said that the Lord was the master storyteller. And everything that he created, that Tolkien created in his storytelling, was just sub-creation based on what the Lord had created, who is truly the master storyteller. There are many literary genres in the Bible. We've got poetry, we've got song lyrics, we have histories, proverbs, prophecies, but all of that together in the grand arc of the Bible is a master story that tells the story of Jesus. So, I'm going to make a case as we go through this morning as to why storytelling is so important. But let's start first with just reading Psalm 124. And it says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's a fantastic eight verses, is it not? So let's first of all put it in a little bit of uh, very quickly historical context. If you look this up in your copy of the Bible, you probably have a little heading there that says this, a song of ascents of David. So the of David part is pretty self-explanatory. It means David wrote Psalm 124. The reality is there's actually some disagreement about whether or not he wrote it, but for our purposes today, we can say that David wrote this song, okay? The interesting part is that first phrase, a song of a sense. There are 15 psalms that are all packaged together from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 that all have that title, a song of a sense. So what is a song of a sense? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a song of of going up, of ascending. So the original people who would have used this song, just like we turn on the radio and hear the newest Christian whatever it is that becomes big, the original people who would have used this song when David wrote it were literally using it as they were going uphill, walking uphill. Because Jerusalem, the city, is set on a mountain and the temple was at the top. And so as people would make what we understand to be a pilgrimage toward the temple, 
they would use these songs to prepare themselves as they were moving toward the presence of God. So they were, they were literally going uphill. And for us, there are some differences between us and them. First of all, we, we don't only use this song when we're going, walking uphill. More than that, we, uh, as we've learned here is, and we learn from the Scriptures, is that as believers in Christ, we have the presence of the Lord with us all the time. So we don't have to go to a physical place where the presence of the Lord is. But it still applies in kind of a metaphorical sense, and that is um, it's like we're directing our attention to the Lord. We're directing our hearts upward to the Lord. We use a song of ascent to move our attention in that direction. It's not unlike what we did this morning and what we do every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and that is we come in and we sing together and we direct our attention toward the Lord. Now, I love, I love, love, love how this particular song of ascent starts because there are 15 of them. They don't all start the same way, but I love how this one starts. It, it really gets your attention. It's like, it's like David thought he would start with this line, and then just in case you weren't paying attention, he would hit you with it again. So he says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Do you know what that reminds me of? Is there anyone in here, please raise your hand really, really high, if you have ever served in the military and have been to boot camp and have run and sung cadence? Okay, raise your hands nice and high. You're running in like a group and you're singing cadence, right? And the drill sergeant is yelling something to you and you're yelling it back. What's the purpose of that? I'm sure there are many purposes of doing that. But one of the things it does is it draws your attention away from what you're doing, the difficulty of what you're doing, and focuses you together as a group on the task. I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to work for my dad. He had a construction business, and he was an uh, army veteran. And his experiences of training and those cadences stuck with him. And when we were working, we were working on a roof, or we were painting a building, or we were pouring concrete for someone's sidewalk, we would often sing cadence. We weren't running but he would kind of play the part of the drill sergeant and the rest of the workers on his crew would repeat back to what he, you know, what he yelled to us. And it, it just kind of kept us moving collectively and took our mind off of the, the task at hand, the difficulty of the task at hand. Um, all of you who raised your hands, you guys are real soldiers. The other thing I remember from my past is when I was at IUP, I was a pretend soldier because I took those military science classes. Some of you may remember if you went to IUP, it was part of the ROTC program. I mostly took them to get out of health and wellness. Um, you had an option. <laughs> um, so I took the military science classes and I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into because one time we went over to the track at Mack Park and ran for a long, long time. And I hate running. <laughs> I really dislike it. Um, those of you who love running, it's just amazing to me that anybody would love running. Um, I just really dislike it. But when we went over there and ran, we sang cadence. And the thing I remembered is of all the experiences in my life where someone forced me to run, that was among the easiest because it took your mind off of the pain that was happening in my legs and instead focused on what's he saying and what do I need to repeat back to him. So in my mind, that is kind of how this psalm starts. It's like, hey, let's get your attention focused in the right direction, all right? I, I think there's a New Testament parallel. As I was preparing this, I thought of this scripture. It's in Philippians 4.8, and it says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's what David's doing at the beginning of this psalm. He's saying, don't think about other stuff. Think about what I'm about to tell you about the Lord. 
all right? It paints a picture of a collaborative community of believers using this song skillfully for the purpose of placing their attention on God above anything else. And that is a wonderful goal for us, is it not? Uh, for, uh, for us as a community of believers to work together to put our attention on God above anything else. So a little side note, I want to just mention one more thing about this before we get into the main points because this is going to come up later. I just want to illustrate this one more way. One way of thinking about this is a horizontal view versus a vertical view. This is going to be important later. Step one of your homework is to remember this by the time we get to the end of the message. A horizontal view is when you're looking at the world around you and the circumstances you're in, the patterns and characteristics of this world that you can see around you, the things you see happening. And this psalm, I believe, right at the beginning, is trying to get your attention to look vertically. And when you look vertically, the world around you is illuminated by who the Lord is and what He has done. A vertical perspective takes into account the things of the Lord that you can't see. It takes into account the unseen world. So Psalm 124 is being used, and we're going to use it today, to draw attention, draw your attention to the things that draw your attention to God. Amen? With me so far? Thank you. All right, so let's start. Part one, point number one, which is at the first section of this psalm in the first five verses, is this. Past past deliverance is evidence of special favor. And when you hear that word special, I want you to think unearned, undeserved. Past deliverance is evidence of special favor. And this is where the storytelling starts. The psalm says this. I'm going to read the first five verses again. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Did you hear all of those would-haves? Did you hear that? They would have swallowed us up alive. The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Over us would have gone the raging waters. Those would-haves are all there to bring something to your attention, and that is they would have, but they didn't. They didn't because the Lord intervened. Those things can be daunting, but they're there to remind you that they didn't happen, okay? Think about the things, just take a moment while I'm speaking and think about the things that would have or could have happened to you if it had not been for the Lord. Things that have happened in your life that the Lord has rescued you from. Disasters that have been averted that you have seen the Lord step in. And then realize that probably some of those averted disasters happened on the way in this morning and you have no idea. You have no idea what the Lord has saved you from. I was reminded... uh, uh, remember I said I worked for my dad. We, we did something really, really dumb one time. Um, we went to do a job where we were painting a U-Haul warehouse and it was far away from where he lived and we drove all this way to get there and when we realized, when we got there, we realized that the warehouse was taller than we thought it had, was going to be and we didn't have the right ladders and we didn't want to go all the way back to get the right ladders so we improvised and broke all kinds of OSHA standards, I'm sure. But the U-Haul warehouse had a forklift. So we scooped up a pallet with a forklift and put my dad on it with all his painting supplies and lifted that forklift all the way up so he could stand up there on that pallet and paint. And even dumber was that while he was doing that, I was standing under the pallet painting. Okay? I know. 
Hindsight, right? So I'm sitting there painting, and all of a sudden I hear this boom, and paint rains down on the ground all around me. Paint can, bang, bang, bang. And I look up, and I realize that the forklift has dropped about four feet all of a sudden. Boom. And I still didn't think anything of it. I stepped out of the way to see if my dad was okay. And as soon as I stepped out of the way, that forklift came down all the rest of the way. Boom. I mean, hard. If you know anything about forklifts, those suckers are heavy. Um, I don't exactly know how tall an angel is when it's holding its hands up like this, but I suspect it's about the height of from the ground to the bottom of that forklift pallet because I am convinced that the Lord saved my life that day. And I'm sure you have things like that. David is directing people who use this psalm. He's directing people to remember those things, that there have been deliverances. And we have them recorded all through the Bible. Just think of the deliverances that David could have been referring to. There are, I could go on for the rest of today just giving examples, but just think of these few. Abraham and barren Sarah being given a son. The first Passover, when the Israelites were passed over and their firstborn were spared. What about the crumbling destruction of the walls at Jericho? What about in David's own life, his defeat of Goliath? These are, these are vivid pictures. And the beautiful thing for us to remember in 2018 is that God has not changed one single bit. The same Lord that delivered Goliath into David's hands was the same one who saved me from the forklift and probably rescued you on your way in here this morning without you even knowing it. The Lord made our minds to understand and, and work well with these stories. He could have communicated to us in any way that He chose, but He chose words. He chose to give us this. He could have done it any way He wanted, and so He made us to respond to this. I bet when I mentioned uh, David's defeat of Goliath, I bet all around this room, without you even trying to, I bet there were pictures going on in people's minds. You maybe saw David and Goliath facing each other. You may have seen how Goliath was dressed, his helmet, his sword. Maybe you saw the setting. Maybe you know what the weather was like that day as they were fighting. There's no guarantee that any of those details actually were true, but our, our mind works that way. It works in these vivid pictures, the detail that the Lord conjures up in our minds because He's made us to be that way. And Scripture has a word for this phenomenon, the way that our, our minds react to His stories, and that word is witness. The Lord has given us witnesses, examples that bring these things to mind, bring His work to mind. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, "'Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now, this will come as no surprise to you, but Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. Does anybody remember what, the, uh, what we typically call Hebrews 11? It's got a kind of a famous nickname. What is it? What is it? Faith. Yeah, the hall of faith, right? Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. If you are like me and sometimes you open up your Bible to read it on a day, and you, and you think, I'm, I'm not really sure what to read today. I don't really have a plan. I want to read something. Uh, homework assignment number two, read Hebrews 11. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's, and it's called that hall of faith. Um, think of it as like walking through a museum and seeing these portraits on the wall of men and women who demonstrated great faith. It's so encouraging. 
A witness is a testifier. We find this in Hebrews 11. A witness is a testifier of the accuracy of events. It, it confirms the truth of something. So we have this great cloud of witnesses that confirms truths about the Lord. Well, what is the truth that it's establishing? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet because that's point three, so you have to wait. But we have our own stories too. We look in the Scriptures and we have all of these witnesses. We look through the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 and we have many witnesses. But what I would like to suggest to you today and encourage you to remember and, and apply in your lives is that in this room, we have many, many witnesses that are just as profound and amazing as the things you find in Hebrews 11. I asked a few people in here permission to share some of their stories, and I'm just, I don't have time to give full accounts of their stories, so I would encourage when you hear these things to go to them and find out more because it's just totally crazy. Um, for those of you who have I've asked permission, if I screw any of this up, I'm really sorry, uh, but I hopefully get the main uh, ideas across. In our body, we have a family, uh, Ivan and Gina Fortushnik, and their children, and they have a fantastic testimony of how the Lord saved them. They have so many witnesses just in their lives of the Lord's goodness. But here's one. Ivan and Gina moved here from Kansas. They lived out in Kansas, Iowa before that. I just learned last night. They were married when they lived in Kansas, but they weren't saved yet. And they've given me permission to share with you that during that time, their relationship, their marriage was very, very difficult was really strained. It was really hard. Ivan is an art professor over here at IUP, and when he got the job offer to come here to Indiana, their marriage was such that they weren't even sure they were going to come here together. They thought they might use that as an opportunity to split. But they decided to make a go at it, and they made their plans to move here in Indiana. Now, uh, Gina <laughs> called. I would have never thought to do this. I think this is so smart. Gina called the Indiana Borough Police because she didn't know anything about Pennsylvania, let alone Indiana, Pennsylvania, and she didn't know where they should look for a house to live. So she called the police and said, what, you know, tell me about this town. Well, who do you think she was put in contact with? John Scherf, right? So she ends up talking to John Scherf, and she found out some information, and they moved to Indiana, and, and she shared with me that after they moved here, there were still some really dark times in their marriage. In fact, it got so dark that they both, at separate times, considered ending their own lives. But, but God, right? So God started creating these chance encounters with the Scherfs. Everywhere they went, they were running into John Scherf or Christy Scherf. And every time they would run into John or Christy Scherf, they were being invited to this church on Waven Avenue called Lord of Life. And eventually they went and they experienced something there that was so different than anything else they had ever seen before, heard before. They started having more kind of chance encounters with the Outrogies and the McCrackens and the Ryers. Kept running into all these people that the Lord was putting in their path that He had prepared for them when they were back in Kansas and had no idea. And long story short, Ivan got saved. And Gina was so funny. She said when Ivan got saved, or even when they started going to Lord of Life, uh, Gina thought, this is exactly what Ivan needs in his life. <laughs> this is, this, Ivan really needs to hear this stuff. She even said that she one time got a uh, recording of all of the messages that had been preached for the entire year and gave them to Ivan. Here, listen to these things, you know. Um, but the Lord opened Gina's eyes, and she started realizing that she needed the Lord as much as Ivan did, as much as any of us did. J.D. Grants is a member of our church. He and his wife, Sarah, and their beautiful family. Back in December of 2017, uh, J.D. may have to correct some of these details. He had a doctor's appointment and found out that his heart was in bad shape. 
he was going to need to have an aortic valve replacement, which is a pretty invasive thing, I would imagine. Not, not a medical doctor, but that sounds bad. J.D. knew that there was some stuff going on with his heart. He was born with some uh, defects in his heart that he knew he needed to be aware of and pay attention to and see a doctor regularly, but they were not expecting that. They were not expecting the report of needing heart surgery. But they went home, and it was hard to hear that, but they prayed. They encouraged others to pray. This family of believers prayed for them. And long story short, through a series of tests and meetings with doctors, they found out that not only was he not going to need aortic aortic heart heart valve replacement, uh, he was not in any danger of heart failure, and his heart had actually improved its function. His heart is working better now than it was prior. That's amazing. Albert Hines, this one blows my mind because I had no idea. Some of you maybe know Albert's story. Albert was a sophomore in college when he got saved, but get this, Albert as a sophomore was dealing drugs. I've known Albert for a couple of years. I had never guessed that. Albert was dealing drugs and he was living in an apartment or a dorm room or something with a roommate who was also dealing drugs. And one time, whatever year that was, his sophomore year of college, Christmas break came around, his roommate went home, and Albert was there by himself, and the Lord convicted him heavily about the things that he was involved in, the kind of lifestyle that he was leading. And Albert didn't know anything about Jesus, he didn't know anything about churches, but he remembered hearing about someone else that he knew that was involved in a similar lifestyle who had gotten involved with some kind of group and his life had changed drastically. So Albert thought, I'll look him up. Well, the group turned out to be a local church. Albert called and then visited this church on New Year's Day. Someone was miraculously there on New Year's Day. <laughs> and he, was, he heard the gospel. He was saved and baptized that day. New Year's Day of whatever year that was. And a few days later, Albert said the funniest thing. He said a few days later, he kind of taking all of this in, and all of a sudden he realized his drug, other drug-dealing roommate was going to be coming back from break. What, was I going to, what am I going to do when I still got to live with this guy? What am I going to tell him? So his roommate came back after break and walked in the door, and Albert said to him right away, we got to talk. And his roommate said, you're right, we got to talk. I met Jesus over break, and I got saved. So, <laughs> not great? These are, I mean, witnesses of the, how the Lord saved us when we're involved in things that are our own fault. You know, Albert was choosing to do these things, and the Lord rescued him out of it. And if any of you are following on Facebook the ongoing story with Quinn Santini, we've got a witness of the miraculous deliverance of the Lord going on right in front of us right now. And that's the same God. Okay? These stories are witnesses for us. They're evidence that past deliverance is a result of undeserved favor. So that's point one. But what do we do with point one? Well, here's how I would like you to apply it. Homework part three. (laughs) I would like you to encourage yourself, because you can do that, encourage yourself and each other with stories of deliverances from your life. That's how you apply what this psalm is trying to teach us. Encourage yourself and each other with stories of deliverances. You all have them. I'm convinced of it, okay? Part two, how do we respond to those remembrances of the Lord's deliverance? Well, here's what the next part of the psalm is. This is verse six and seven. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. So what's the response? Blessed be the Lord, right? Can everybody say that? Blessed be the Lord. That's the response. And it's a great storytelling advice, you know, or uh, device. It paints this picture of this terrible enemy, really. I mean, think about that. In verse 6, it says, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. It's like this wild animal. It's strong, and we're its prey. And it reminded me of Ephesians 6, which we looked a lot at in June, especially those of you who went to youth camp. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That can sound pretty daunting. And as if that's not daunting enough, it's contrasted with pictures of us in those two verses. All right? He talks about us being like a bird. All right? I'm not thinking like eagle. I'm thinking like bird, right? And there are a couple of scriptures I was hoping to have projected up here. You guys have the Psalm 1? Yep, there they are. Put them all up there. This is part of your homework in case you don't have anything to write these down on. Uh, these will be on the Facebook page. But look these up throughout this week. And what you're going to find are pictures of us in Scripture that are not terribly flattering. All right? They're not terribly flattering. In fact, one of those, Isaiah 41, 14, says this, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. You worms, right? Now, I want to be clear. God is not mean-spirited toward us. He's not saying these things to put us down in a mean-spirited kind of way. He loves and cares for us. He created us. But because He loves us, He wants us to see clearly how great and powerful He is compared to us. Because that's in our best interest and it helps us to serve Him and bring glory to Him. These images in, in verses 6 and 7 help us to see that we can respond with, blessed be the Lord because. Because why? Because our enemy is powerful, but the Lord has saved us. The Lord is far more powerful. Blessed be the Lord because we are small, but the Lord intervened on our behalf. The Lord accomplished great things for us. Remember those examples I gave you earlier that David could have been referring to? Just think of one of those, Abraham and Sarah. Imagine, however many thousands of years ago that was, imagine them holding Isaac and thinking, blessed be the Lord, because what seemed impossible and insurmountable has been rendered insignificant by what the Lord has done. And the proof is right here. I'm holding this baby that was impossible. And here he is. So that's what, that's what those two verses are helping us to see. Well, what's the, what's the application of that? How do you apply our response of blessed be the Lord in terms of the strength of the enemy, the overall, the great, much greater strength of the Lord? How do you apply that? Well, you do this. Here's the application. Humility helps us see the magnitude of what the Lord has done and leads to a response of praise. I probably should have reworded that so it sounded more like an action thing, but, so I'll do that now. Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Remember the things He has done for you. Remember the greatness of His power and respond with praise. Amen. Thank you, Rodney. I'm going to put some, I'm, I don't have them for the wall today, but I'm going to, uh, on the Facebook page, put homework. I don't, I've lost track of what homework assignment I'm on now, four or five or something like that. Um, I'm going to put another homework assignment on the Facebook page if you want to participate. And it's several accounts in the scriptures where people responded with, blessed be the Lord. And what I want you to do is look up those Scripture passages and read their response, but then go backwards and see what was written before that to see what happened to lead to their response of blessed be the Lord. So that's, that's your next 
homework assignment. Part three, I'm going to start finishing things up here. Part three is this. You can have confidence in the Lord for the future. And I wrote right after confidence in all capital letters, hope. And what that's referring to is the last verse of Psalm 124, which is verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, quick reminder. Remember, point one was past deliverance is evidence of special or undeserved favor. Point two was our response with blessed be the Lord. And now we have confidence in the Lord for the future. Think about how that verse starts. Our help is. Is is a strong word. It's a strong word of confidence. It's not our help might be. Our help sometimes is. We'll be super lucky if it kind of works out that way. It's not that at all. Our help is, is a statement of confidence. And confidence in the Scriptures is very closely married to the word hope. They're very closely related. We tend to think of hope as being something that we do when we're not sure how things are going to turn out. Uh, I hope I get, or I hope this happens. I personally hope next summer it doesn't rain as much as it did this summer. But the reality is, I have no idea what the weather's going to be next summer. I can hope all I want, and it could rain every single day next summer. That is not what hope is like in Scripture. Hope, biblically, is a confidence. And it's confidence because it's in a person. It's a confidence when we, because we look at evidence in Scripture to see that the person that we have hope in is worthy of the things he says about himself, okay? God has, this would, this would actually make a really great teaching series. God has many, many names in Scripture. And if you were to look at all of those names, you would find that they mean lots of different things, but it's not just, they're not, it's not just random. The names of God are not in the Scriptures just because they're clever names. They're, they reveal truths about Himself, and they are backed up with evidence from Scripture to prove that He is worthy of the name. You've probably all heard the term blind faith, right? Everybody's heard that from time to time. Faith in Scripture is not blind. It's not. That's, remove that as far from the definition as you possibly can. Faith is not blind. It is backed up with evidence. And look at what this verse says. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look around you. All right? Even if we had nothing else, we could look around at what He has made, the grandeur and beauty and power of what He's made, and see that He's worthy of our confidence. The same God who made everything you see out there, every person you see in here, is the same one who delivered Abraham, delivered Moses, He delivered the Fertushniks, He delivered J.D. Grants, he delivered Albert, he's delivering Quinn, he delivered me from the forklift. It's the same God. Okay? I want to make one final point. We have a few minutes left. I want to make one final point, and, I, and I'm going to admit to you that I, this was the hardest part of preparing these notes for today. I felt really strongly that the Lord wanted me to go here, wanted me to go in this direction. Um, but it was, it was kind of tough trying to figure out how to, how to work it out. <laughs> um, but I think the Lord has helped. There are a couple hundred people in this room, and we've spent the morning talking about remembering how the Lord has delivered us, responding in praise, 
all right? Being confident in the Lord for what's to come. And I don't want it to escape my attention or any of our attention that there are people in this room who the adversary is probably trying to influence right now by saying, the Lord has not always delivered you. Things have always, not always worked out. You don't have to respond with praise. You can't trust and hope with confidence for the future because of fill in the blank. That has to be true. It may be true of every single person, but it's got to be true at least of some people. Things have happened. Terrible, hard things that I don't want to diminish just because we're looking at the Lord's deliverances. But we need to be able to know what to do with that. So I'm going to tell one more story, and, uh, and hopefully it will, it will help. And maybe the band can start coming up um, as I tell this last story. So this is 2018. Uh, I, like many people of my generation, came from a family that was rather blended. So my, my parents did not stay together. I was actually really little when they divorced, so I never really remembered them being married, and both of them remarried. Um, so I've got, I'm one of eight children, but I have a brother, I have a half-brother, a half-sister, a step-brother, and three stepsisters, and then me, and I'm in the middle there somewhere, right? In fact, do you guys remember, uh, remember the show Newhart? I, I'm Larry, and this is my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. I have two brothers named Bob. Okay, half-brother Bob, a step-brother Bob, both my dad and my stepdad's named Bob, my father-in-law who's here is named Bob, my middle name is Bob, my step-brother has a son named Bob, he has a son named Bob. There are a lot of Bobs in our family, okay? Um, <laughs> when, I, when my mom and stepdad got married, that's when the step-siblings came into the picture, and they're all much older than me, so I, we never really lived together in the same household, didn't get to know each other as well as I knew some of my other siblings. Um, but I had one sister who lived nearby, and we went to church together. She was the one that came to visit the most. She was the one that I got to know the most. Her name was Kim, and Kim loved Jesus. She uh, was on the worship team at our church together. She sang. She had a beautiful voice. She loved worshiping the Lord. We uh, the church I went to at the time, we did special music, and so Kim was often up singing something that she had prepared to minister to the congregation. Well, when I was in high school, it was somewhere around my junior year, Kim was about 30 years old, and she was diagnosed with very invasive form of breast cancer, and within a year, she had died. And it was terrible. And when we found out that she was sick, we started praying. I prayed for her. My parents prayed for her. Her church was praying for her. And we kept praying for her as her sickness progressed, as she got to the point where she couldn't live on her own and she moved in with us, right up to the point when she passed away. And I still, I still can't tell you why the Lord chose to do it that way. I don't know why Kim passed away. But I will point you to this. Remember we talked about Hebrews 12. Well, before Hebrews 12 comes Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then it goes on and you start walking through that museum of portraits of these people of faith. And one of the people, Brian Parks actually taught on him and equipped a couple Wednesdays ago. One of the people in that list is Moses. And it says in verse 27 of Hebrews 11, by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered. Another translation of the Bible says he endured as one who sees him who is invisible. He endured as one who sees him who is invisible. Now, Try to remember the story. What had happened to Moses at this point when he left Egypt and was enduring? He had seen 
a bush in flames that was not being consumed. He saw a staff that had been turned into a snake and turned back into a staff. He saw the miraculous plagues. He saw the Passover. He saw all these amazing things from the Lord that he can look back and confirm the Lord's power. But he also saw hardship. Things got a lot harder for Moses and for the people of Israel before they left Egypt. Remember that part of the story? Things got really hard. But what did he do? He endured or persevered as one who sees him who is in, invisible. What Moses was doing and what I want you to be encouraged to do this morning is what I mentioned earlier. He took his eyes off of this horizontal, worldly seen circumstances and pointed them instead vertically to the, the God who is worthy of our trust, the God who is worthy of our confidence. Another way of saying that for our experience is we can entrust ourselves to the Lord who is faithful. Because we have all of these stories in this room, in the scriptures, of all these deliverances and goodnesses of the Lord, and they all point to the overall master story of the Bible, and that is Jesus, and the good news of Jesus. And that is something that we can have confidence in. So what do we do with that? Well, how do we apply that? I don't want to kind of end on a downer, right? There's all this... This good stuff we've heard from the Lord, how do we apply that? Well, we've already talked about applying this by encouraging yourself and others with stories of deliverances and responding in praise. I would encourage you to encourage yourself and others with stories of faith, of stands in faith and endurance. Amen? Now, I did not plan it this way. A couple months ago when I signed up for preaching this Sunday and picked this date, I think the Lord just worked this out. If I could take all of what I said in my things that I want you to do as far as encouraging each other, if I could put it all down into one word, that word would be fellowship. And guess what starts next week? Fellowship groups, right? Or maybe it's not next week, but it's soon, right? Fellowship groups are coming up. We're going to start up again. That is an awesome opportunity to be doing exactly this. Get together with people and encourage one another. Be witnesses for one another. Hold each other up, you know, like Moses had his arms held up by his friends. Do that for each other. Those of you, raise your hand if you participated in a dig-in dinner this summer. Yeah, those were awesome opportunities where we heard how people were delivered and how people strengthened their faith. And it was so very encouraging. So we're going to sing one last song if you want to stand and worship with us. Thank you so much for listening. We serve a good God, do we not? Amen.